0: KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. After the BBC News headlines, Racial Reckoning of Minnesota will provide an update on the Derek Chauvin trial. KVMR is supported by Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. four pause, And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com this
1: is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Georgia Fort with today's update.
2: Intensity continues to build in the courtroom following yet another day of emotional testimony. Wait a minute. <laughs> a 61 year old man who witnessed the death of George Floyd, Charles McMillan, broke down on the stand when the prosecution replayed footage of the moments leading up to Floyd's death. In the footage, you can hear McMillan pleading with Floyd. You
0: can't I, I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to win. I'll get on the ground anything. i get in the car. In in the
1: the
0: car. car. Okay. He know it. He know
1: it through his office. Y'all hear me?
2: Following McMillan's testimony, attorneys for the state played multiple recordings, including the body camera footage of all officers involved and surveillance from inside of Cup Foods. The surveillance footage shows George Floyd in the store interacting with multiple people, even laughing with another customer at one point. A 19-year-old cashier testified Wednesday afternoon about the moment he realized George Floyd gave him a counterfeit $20 bill.
3: When I um, saw the bill, I noticed that it had a blue pigment to it, kind of how a $100 bill will have. And I found that odd, so I assumed that it was
4: fake. Okay.
2: The cashier said he now feels guilt for the choices he made that evening. Outside of the courtroom, the community continues to protest, demanding justice for George Floyd. Protesters once again wrote names of those killed by police on locks and hung them on the fence surrounding the government center. Previous locks were cut off by the National Guard. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Georgia Fort.
1: Racial Reckoning, The Arc of Justice, is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center.
4: This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. We're expected to hear more this morning from police in the city of Orange following a mass shooting yesterday which left four people dead, including a child. The California Report. Saul Gonzalez has more.
5: Lily, the shooting occurred late Wednesday afternoon at an office complex. Here's Orange Police Lieutenant Jennifer Amutt describing what officers found upon arriving at the scene.
6: Upon entering the business and in the area, they have discovered four victims that are deceased on the location. One of those victims does include a child.
5: A surviving victim, a woman who hasn't been identified, is receiving care for gunshot wounds at a local hospital. So too is the suspected shooter. It's unclear if he was hit by police gunfire or a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Witness Mo Reyes spoke to KTLA News about what he saw and heard.
2: I think I heard maybe a total of about like 13 gunshots and uh, you know, I did see a dead body on the floor. The shooting was probably about 10-15 minutes.
5: This is the third mass shooting in the U.S. in recent weeks, following slayings in Atlanta, Georgia that killed eight people and a supermarket shooting in Boulder, Colorado that killed 10. Governor Gavin Newsom is calling the mass shooting in Orange horrifying and heartbreaking. And this isn't the community's first experience with mass violence. In 1997, four people were shot and killed at a maintenance yard in Orange by a former Caltrans worker. Lily? Lily?
4: Thank you, Saul. That was the California report. Saul Gonzalez in Southern California. Now to the pandemic. Today, Californians 50 and older can get a COVID-19 vaccine. But as KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, news of a manufacturing problem with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine may mean fewer appointments.
2: Future shipments of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine will be delayed after 15 million doses were ruined by an ingredient mix-up. That could impede vaccinations in L.A., where health officials are racing to get the majority of adults immunized by June. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer.
6: We were, uh, here in L.A. County, anticipating that about 20% of our doses over the next three months would be Johnson & Johnson doses.
2: Because it only requires one shot, the Johnson & Johnson doses are used in populations that have trouble getting to clinics, people experiencing homelessness, as well as people with disabilities or ambulatory issues, exactly the population that needs to be vaccinated the most. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles.
1: Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere, and College Futures Foundation. Supporting KQED special broadcasts from college campuses and other higher education reporting. Learn more at collegefutures.org.
4: As Stanford's women's team and UCLA's men's team prepare for the NCAA Final Four to do battle on the court, the U.S. Supreme Court took up a years-long dispute over payments to student-athletes. Alicia Jessup is associate professor at Pepperdine University, where she teaches sport law, and she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning.
7: Good morning. So first, Alicia, thoughts on yesterday's hearing. What stood out to you? Yeah, what stood out to me was just the range and diversity of questions asked by the Supreme Court justices. You had Clarence Thomas, who typically leans more conservative, probing the rationale for why college coaches' salaries have skyrocketed and something called the NCAA transfer portal. You had justices like Stephen Breyer, who tends to side with the more liberal court, asking questions, signifying possibly that he might align with the NCAA in this case. So one thing that really struck me from the justices' questions was it was almost like they were trading spaces.
4: Yeah, it's a great point. It did throw a lot of us for a loop. Um It does make it a lot harder to uh, prognosticate about what is going to happen, how the court will ultimately rule. What's your best guess at this point?
7: Sure. So heading into the oral arguments, there were some sport law experts who were predicting a 9-0 Supreme Court decision in favor of the Alston plaintiffs. And certainly that's still possible. However, hearing the questions yesterday, I think it's going to be closer. Um, Yesterday, I put out onto Twitter that I think it's going to be a 6-3 to decision. I see Justices Thomas and Coney Barrett dissenting and ruling in favor of the NCAA. And I could see Justice Breyer as well writing his own dissent. He raised the point that this case could have implications to industries well beyond college sport. And the industry he pointed out was the tech industry. And so I think that could cause him to write a dissent in this case.
4: What would be the potential impact
7: on the NCAA as we know it, if your prediction comes true? Sure. So if the plaintiffs win this case, college athletes at the Division One level will be able to receive unlimited educational benefits. So it's not like they're going to get paid directly from this case. However, if they win, the NCAA will be found to be in violation of antitrust law by the highest court in the United States. And it will lead to some really deep questions about the legitimacy and the future of its amateurism standard especially in the wake of states enacting name, image, and likeness bills, this could be one of the biggest dominoes to fall to change the landscape of college sports as we know it.
4: And just a programming question, how did it come to be that this hearing took place just as we're headed into the final four? Coincidence?
7: (laughs) Yes, that is a great question. This case was actually brought initially as two separate cases and the first case was filed on the first day of march madness on 2014 and so i had the same thought yesterday of how ironic is it that this case that was filed on the first day of march madness in 2014 is being heard before the supreme court seven years later heading into the weekend of the final four I don't know if you call that synchronicity, timing, irony. It certainly wasn't planned by the Supreme Court. I can tell you that. All right. Alicia Jessup, associate professor at Pepperdine University.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, April 1st. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Beginning today, statewide, everyone 50 years and older is eligible for vaccination. Nevada County, however, has opened up vaccine eligibility to everyone 16 and older at all of its public health clinics. The decision was made with hopes to maintain the current momentum and to allow people who are ready to get vaccinated to make an appointment. New appointments are released every Friday at noon for the following week. You can find more information at mynevadacountycom slash getvaccinated. In regional weather, for Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight, clear with a low around 49. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 73. For the Truckee and Lake Tahoe area, tonight, mostly clear and a low around 31. On Friday, there will be increasing clouds with a high near 62. And for the Valley, Woodland and Sacramento, tonight, clear, with a low around 49. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 81. Next, we'll listen to Hospitality House's needs for the week, Followed by Bravehearts
3: Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter for the general homeless community in Nevada County. And since the onset of the pandemic, we've shifted into a 24-7 operation. Working in partnership with multiple agencies around town in a collective effort to help as many people as possible in crisis. I'm Christina Bcarion, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House. And the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves, please keep donating these, new pillows, twin size blankets, bottled water, hand warmers, Alka Seltzer, travel bags and backpacks Headphones, earbuds, brushes, combs, and hair ties, toilet paper, paper towels, men and women's winter gloves, men's jeans sizes 30 to 36, 8 ounce paper coffee cups, please no lids or styrofoam or plastic cups, women's underwear sizes small, medium, and large, men and women's sweatpants sizes medium, large, extra large, and 2XL. ensure and boost drinks for guests undergoing chemo and radiation treatments. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place located in Brunswick Basin past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you.
2: Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts,
6: where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis.
2: We are your hosts, William Wallace
6: and Betty Louise.
2: And these are the brave hearts.
6: Following excerpt is from Julie Lang, who has been a mental health professional here in Nevada County for over 20 years, and she has her own experience working with the homeless population. What exactly is your role at the jail?
8: Um, My role at the jail is to provide mental health services for anybody that needs them for any reason. If Somebody comes in and has a mental health history or has been through any trauma or shows any type of behavior that looks like they may need a help of a mental health professional or at request of anybody. So I'll see anybody and everybody that needs it at the jail. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Could you just give us a description of your work in the mental health field? I have kind of a varied background, but I've served in the Nevada County area for about 20 years. I did quite a few years at Nevada County Behavioral Health. I worked in their day treatment program as an intern, and I worked for their county crisis team for many years. I have a shared practice with some other practitioners right downtown Grass Valley, and I've had that office open since 1999. I also did a little bit of work at Lovett Recovery doing dual diagnosis patients that were mentally ill and also substance abusing. So, And I pretty much serve the general population in our area. In my private office, I do take insurance, and I have a sliding scale. Sometimes I've seen people from all different levels of life. So what has been your exposure to working with the homeless population? I would say that my exposure started when I worked in day treatment at County Mental Health many years ago in the late 90s for the crisis team. Often there were mentally ill people that were homeless and camping, some of them veterans. They would use substances or just become very depressed or exhibit odd behaviors, so they would be called in for evaluations. I would see quite a few people through those venues. And what is your general assessment of the mental health of our homeless population? I would say that most of the homeless people have some sort of, at least the stress of survival, which can drive anybody uh, to depression and anxiety. Often there's a lot of substance abuse and substance abuse is, or use, is for varied reasons. A lot of people use substances to ease the pain of homelessness, and it's also a social commodity, a way to join with other people. You've been involved with the homeless community for many, many years. What are the changes or the shifts that you've seen, if any? (laughs) I think I'll start it out with anybody could become homeless. Mm -hmm. And so the homeless are everybody there are a lot of homeless people that have severe mental illness, and for many years there haven't been a lot of services available for these people. A lot of them have been schizophrenic or have a severe bipolar disorder. Uh, some are developmentally delayed on top of it, and our resources haven't really been set up to take care of everybody. Some of the homeless have had a lot of mistrust with services as well, and they're so used to being judged that they're not quick to want to talk to anybody. So there's severely mentally ill people out there. There are developmentally delayed people out there. And then there's people out there that are homeless that even recently were working and either were laid off by their companies or they had a serious back injury or something that kept them from going back to work. And little by little, banks foreclosed on their home. They were unable to get a job. They were unable to look good in an interview anymore and lost faith. Mm -hmm. And most recently, even in my private practice, I think of a woman who was working for IBM and was laid off. And she did go through some job training, but she had to leave the home that she'd been in for many years and rented a room. And it turned out this room was With unstable people. So she was frightened and then started staying in her car. And her story goes down from there. She's still unemployed. She's now effectively homeless. And, you know, even though she has skills, she can't even look right to get Mm -hmm. an interview. And her resume is already getting stale. She lost her insurance. I saw her up till when it ran out. And then I did a sliding scale for a while. And then slowly she's just fallen off the map. And I've seen a lot of people go through things like that.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind.
6: This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org.
0: Molly Fisk closes out our newscast by reading two poems by Asian-American poets. Molly Fisk,
8: observations
1: from a working poet. In our country and in our county, there's been recent violence toward Asian-Americans. Elders beaten up on the street. People threatened, spat at, screamed at, knifed in the back blamed for the coronavirus, not to mention the killings this month in Atlanta. This is, of course, on top of a long history of racism and maltreatment. Where I live, the original immigrant gold miners and shopkeepers, as well as laborers on the transcontinental railroad who settled here, were run out of town or killed. Since some of the tools at my disposal in dissolving racism are poetry and a public voice. I'd like to introduce you to two of the Asian American poets about to be featured at the Sierra Poetry Festival here in Nevada County next weekend. Both are from Fresno, which you may not know is a hot spot of California poetry. Lee Herrick, who teaches at Fresno City College, was adopted from Korea at 10 months old and grew up in the Central Valley. This is his poem, My California. Here an olive votive keeps the sunset lit. The Korean 20-somethings talk about hyphens, graduate school, and good pot. A group of four at a window table in Carpinteria discuss the quality of wines in Napa Valley versus Lodi. Here in my California, the streets remember the Chicano poet whose songs still bank off Fresno's beer-soaked gutters and almond trees in partial blossom. Here in my California, we fish out long noodles from the pho with such accuracy you'd know we'd done this before. In Fresno, the bullets tire of themselves and begin to pray five times a day. In Fresno, we hope for less of the police state and more a state of grace. In my California, you can watch the sun go down, like in your California, on the ledge of the pregnant 22nd century, the one with a bounty of peaches and grapes, red onions and the good salsa, wine and jop chai. Here in my California, paperbacks are free, farmers' markets are 24 hours a day and always packed. The trees and water have no nails in them. The priests eat well. The homeless eat well. Here, in my California, everywhere is Chinatown, everywhere is K Town, everywhere is Armenia Town, everywhere a little Italy. Less Confederacy. No internment in the valley. Better history texts for the juniors. In my California, free sounds and free touch. Free questions, free answers. Free songs from parents and poets, those hopeful bodies of light. Anthony Cody's first book, Borderland Apocrypha, hit the poetry world last year with a splash and was a finalist for the National Book Award. A Californian of Hmong and Mexican heritage, his work leans toward the experimental. Here is Dust Lore, number 35. A man at a diner says, never read the newspaper, and continues to drink his coffee and draw circles on want ads. No one is walking out. Every bird in the state is regressing. They forgot how to perch, slept in fields, blocked the road so the leavers could not leave for fear of flattening. They forget feathers and abandoned flight mid-sky, plummet. The sound of a chest cavity crumbling can be confused with the explosion of a dirt clod until you witness the liquefaction. No one is walking out. The sky's in the middle of descent. A man at a diner laughs, says, See, they'll probably say it hasn't rained in months.
0: That's our newscast for Thursday, April 1st, 2021. Keep it here. Money Matters with Mark Cunaberti is next, followed by Democracy Now! at 7 p.m. This is Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening and stay safe.